Welcome to First Unitarian Society of Minneapolis, the birthplace of Congregational Humanism. We carry on that tradition of free thought today, dedicated to promoting a free search for truth, meaning, and justice. Our web address is firstunitarian.org. I'm David Breeden, Senior Minister. Welcome. There's a Taoist uh, tale from Zhong Zi, about 400 BCE or so. Once there was a frog that lived in a deep, narrow well. He had never seen anything else. One day, a sea turtle came upon the well and shouted down the deep, narrow hole, Hello, anybody down there? Yes, said the frog. Come on down for a visit and see the greatest body of water on earth. What, said the sea turtle? Haven't you seen the ocean? Why would I want to, shouted the frog. Because, said the sea turtle, you are mistaken. The ocean is much greater than your deep, narrow well. The ocean is so grand that drought never makes it lower and floods never raise it up. Liar, shouted the frog, go away. So the sea turtle went on her way, wondering at the depth of willful ignorance. End of story. Well, on this Sunday, when we celebrate our grads and our many volunteers, and all the people who make First Unitarian Society the place that it is, and again, I know I left a lot of people and groups out, but I think today is a good day to say, what next? Sure, your newly elected FUS board will soon be joining together to envision the future of FUS, and I'm confident that their vision will be far-reaching. Yet this is a democratically governed congregation we cannot forget, and the board and staff need to hear from you. Broadly speaking, all of us are working toward the same goal. Yeah, uh, oh, you know, save the planet and all of its living things, you know, yeah. And it can look a little uh, broad and difficult sometimes, yes. But as we work together, we are going in the same way. More narrowly speaking, our mission statement reads, quote, as a congregational humanist community, we at First Unitarian Society of Minneapolis foster a free search for knowledge and meaning, strive for justice, and serve one another, the Twin Cities, and beyond. We are, list our values as compassion, integrity, equity, engagement, and, yes, connection. And our theme for June is Celebrating blessings, and sure, celebrating blessings can be about listing off uh, all kinds of personal good things, I like my car, whatever, but it can also be about realizing the unique gifts each of us has to share with our unique congregation. A few things uh, to get you thinking today, because again, I'm inviting us all to think about this together. I've talked about some of the ideas of the French uh, philosopher Gilles Deleuze before. Back in the 1980s, Deleuze created a term, anti-memory. Anti-memory, for Deleuze, is a way of conceptualizing how we combine memories of the past and anticipation of the future 
so that we can act in this moment, which of course we know is the only moment you can actually act. It's right now. How do we take experience? How do we take anticipation? Put them together and come up with just simply, what do we do next? It's an anti-memory because were we to act in this moment in exactly the same way that we acted in the past, uh, there would never be any new creative ideas. We would simply be living on memory. Rather, we must act in a way other than the way we acted in the past. That's why it's an anti-memory. Oddly enough, Deleuze coined the term, and, and he's been dead for some time now, but the term has been reinvented in the field of neuroscience. Nowadays, the term anti-memory is the cutting edge of neuroscience as a way of examining why most of the memories we create disappear. For example, what did you have for breakfast? Well, now, while you were having breakfast, you, I'm sure you were conscious of what you were doing, right? While you were eating, you knew you were eating, and had someone said, what are you doing? You would say, I'm eating breakfast, no problem. Now, it's very easy there, but three weeks from now, hmm, can you remember that? Well, it, of course, or you can eat the same thing in exactly the same way every Sunday, in which case you don't need an anti-memory, right? But you get the idea. Neuroscientists have been asking, how is it that a conscious memory, which is a neural firing uh, in the brain, how does that memory disappear? At the moment, some scientists are beginning to think that anti-memory is a property of the mammalian brain. A memory is a neural firing, and an anti-memory is also a neural firing that erases the other neural firing, or that's the theory anyway. And here's a quote. So it seems that in humans as well as in animals, anti-memories are critical to prevent a potentially dangerous buildup of electrical excitation in the brain, something that could lead to epileptic-like brain states and seizures. It's thought anti-memories may also play an important role in stopping memories from spontaneously activating each other, which would lead to confusion and severely disordered thought processes. You don't want all your memories at once, that's for sure. Anti-memory. Philosopher uh, Gilles Deleuze got there intuitively decades ago by thinking about the question, how do we go about doing something that we don't remember doing before? How do we manage doing a new thing? Now, yes, memory is part of that, no doubt. But so is anticipation of that future and realizing that this situation is not like that one. I'm going to do something else. Now, think for a moment as an example, the invention of the automobile. This is probably the easiest example. Early automobiles looked like and were called horseless carriages. The model, the memory, going into early automobiles was the buggy or the carriage pulled by horses. Part of the reason for that sameness was necessity. The technology for building automobiles was based on existing carriage making. Carriage makers were the ones who knew how to build an object light enough for people to get in and then be propelled around by internal combustion engines. 
General Motors products, for example, until the 1990s had a little plate on the floorboard that many of you remember, body by Fisher. The Fisher brothers were carriage makers in Detroit. Then they designed and built the car bodies for General Motors, and they're still around today. Another reason early cars look like carriages is that there were almost no paved roads when cars began to travel. Early automobiles had to negotiate roads built for horses, muddy, rutted, very few bridges. Therefore, they had to have the road clearance that buggies and wagons and carriages had. Or consider the simple tea kettle. Now, tea kettles were first designed to sit on coals and an actual fire, right? They were made of iron. Then they were used on ranges. They were made of steel or tin then, rather than iron, but they retained more or less their former shape. Now we have electric tea kettles. Now there's no particular reason for electric tea kettles to look like tin tea kettles that look like iron tea kettles. But many do. Just look around. Though nowadays some have begun to look more like pitchers, if you've noticed. But pitchers were never heated in fireplaces or on range tops, so they don't look like tea kettles. What's up with that? Although some of us are old enough to remember stovetop aluminum coffee percolators, which have become a nostalgia item and a camping tool, right? But they look more like pictures, so who knows? We can watch this in real time in our own day. Uh, more and more cars are electric now, right? Electric cars do not need to be designed in the same way that internal combustion cars were. And we can watch these subtle shifts as it's going on in real time. At the moment, electric cars look more or less exactly like internal combustion engine cars. I suspect that someday, these transitional electric cars will look really funny, and people are going to say, why in the heck did they make them look like that? You'll have the answer, because you will be old. The answer is memory and an inability to imagine anything but memories. We just go on what we already had. The past is a template, and it's a good one. It's a reliable one. And it also leads us down some very, very wasteful paths. The next innovation in electric car design will be an anti-memory. It won't be remembering what internal combustion cars looked like any more than contemporary automobiles now resemble the carriages that pull the horses. They just don't look like that anymore. Well, and I want to apply those thoughts to what we're doing here today. And it's my question. As a congregation, we're moving from internal combustion to electric, as it were, analog to digital. What should the new FUS electric car look like? To find out, we're going to have to use anti-memory. Now, sure, some memories are good ones and are very appropriate for use in the future. We want to keep the good ones and throw out the old bad ones from the design. Gathering together, we like it. Singing together, we like it. Having food together, taking care of each other, having a bit of fun, listening to good music, all these things are things that we want to keep because they're the good things. Now, way back at the beginning of the concept of congregational humanism, FUS Minister John Dietrich said this. 
He said, the great word of humanism is that one word, together. In just the measure that we can find something of ourselves in all others, and something of all others in ourselves, will we come to share the spirit of humanism, end quote. What needs to be our anti-memory? What needs to be blocked out from the past that we shared? How do we combine memory of the past and anticipation of the future to find the possibilities for where we go next in our congregation? For example, the pandemic forced our hand on the audiovisual equipment that we're using today. We'd been planning on something like this for several years, but the cost in the equipment and the staff to run it was just too high. But we had imagined it, and so when we actually needed it, we were quite ready to do that. But at this moment, the technology follows the memory of how we did our assemblies before COVID. Is that the right way to do it? I think we need to think about it. What needs to be an anti-memory? Have we merely put a motor on our buggy and it's not gonna work very well? It's a question that we have to ask about what we're doing next. What other opportunities are we missing after the long pandemic's time out of time? And so that's my invitation to all of us today. Let's live not in memory, but in the anti-memory imagined by Gilles Deleuze. What shape should the next teapot of our congregational humanism look like? The future is truly in your hands and in your imagination. Thanks for listening. You can find much more about humanism and what's happening at First Unitarian Society in Minneapolis by visiting our website at firstunitarian.org.